Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you have been with us at Wildwood over the last number of weeks, you know that we are in the midst of a series based out of the book of Ephesians uh, that we have called Pact. And what we've seen in this series uh, about Ephesians, we've seen that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus in the first century. And as Paul wrote that letter, he communicated a number of things to the believers in Christ in Ephesus. One of the things he communicated to them was that they, God had packed within them every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And God wanted those blessings not just to reside within their lives, but he wanted them to experience them, to feel them, to know them. And so he prayed for them to that end. These are blessings that were given not based on their performance, but based on the grace of God that they received these blessings in faith. And one of the blessings that God extended was that there would be Jew and Gentile, people of very different backgrounds, united in one body, the church, and reconciled to God. And we've seen that over the last four weeks. And today we're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians by looking at the fifth installment that's specifically going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. But before we do that, I want to just reminisce with you a little bit about uh, my childhood growing up, specifically about my favorite subject in school growing up, which uh, was recess. Uh, Some of you know this, who know me well. Uh, Recess was my favorite subject in school, and uh, I would organize my whole day around it. And, you know, many times recess would involve basketball or football or soccer something like that, something with a ball, rules, and a winner. We, we, would, we would organize around that. But occasionally, there were these days that were white flag recess days. And when a, a white flag was up, that meant that you had to stay on the blacktop. And that would bring a few other games into uh, our vernacular. One of the games that we would play on white flag recess days was, was tetherball. Anybody here ever play tetherball? Let me show of hands. I wasn't the only one. Several of you played tetherball. It's been so long since I've seen a tetherball pole. I just would love to be able to, to maybe play a little. Oh, wow, Greg, Greg thanks, man. Ask and you will receive, right? Uh, here is my very own tetherball pole. Uh, now, many hands went up, and so you, many of you know how tetherball is played. I'm kind of disappointed you're not hanging out up here with me, and we can play, play a match. But many of you, many of you uh, know how tetherball is played. But if, if you don't know how tetherball is played, or maybe it's been so long that you've forgotten, uh, tetherball is merely a ball tethered to the top of a pole. And the object of the game is to hit the ball around this pole all the way until it wraps tight. And if it wraps tight, and the direction in which I was hitting it, then I would be declared the winner. That was kind of the way that tetherball worked on the playground growing up. Now, I was, I was thinking about uh, tetherball this week as I read Ephesians 3, 1 to 13, believe it or not. Um, and what, what, I, what I thought of as I was reading Ephesians 3 was that there's some similarities between tetherball and life. See, in, in life, we are kind of beaten about, aren't we? by circumstances, by situations. We're just kind of beaten about in life. That's one of the realities of living in this world. And as we're beaten about in life in different directions, all of us have at the center of our lives a pole. All of us have at the center of our lives either a person or a principle or a goal, an objective. 
upon which our life is organized. If you're wondering how to determine what that is in your life, think about this. If, if your life were to wrap around one thing so tightly that you would then declare yourself winning, what would that be? Would it be a, would it be a person? Would it be your spouse? Would it be the idea of a spouse? Would it be your children? Would it, if you wrapped your life around that relationship, then you would consider it, it winning. Um, maybe it's not a person at all. Maybe it's a, a vocation. Maybe you think, you know what, at the center of my life and, and hope and dream is that I would have a certain vocation, that I would have success in that vocation, and if my life could just wrap around that tight enough, then I would be winning. Maybe it's, it's not something that specific. Maybe for you, it is something a little more, um, you know, abstract, like your happiness. You know, if I'm happy and I just were to wrap my life around my happiness tight enough, then I would be winning. Or maybe it is God and His glory. Maybe it's the person of Jesus Christ that's at the center of your life. But as, as your life is beaten about back and forth, all of us have something to which our life is tethered. All of us have a, a principle, a goal, a person upon which our life organizes and finds its meaning. Um, now, we're in a church, right? So when I go through that list of options, which one do you think is the right answer? Um, it's God. It's His glory. It's the person of Christ. That's who should be at the center. But the question is, is that a reality for you? Is that a reality for me? And how would we ever know? You know, one of the things that I've found to be true in life is that if you really want to know what is the center pole upon which our life is tethered to, then observe a life in the midst of suffering. Observe a life in the midst of hardship. Observe a life in the midst of difficulty. What we cling to, what we're tethered to in those moments, many times will reveal what is the central whole of our lives. And what we see in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 13 is that at the, the center of the Apostle Paul's life was his heavenly Father, was the glory of God. It was the person of Jesus Christ. And we see that revealed as Paul dealt with struggles, suffering, and hardship. And so what we're going to do today as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, is we're going to see a little bit about how he tethered his life to Christ and how he was able to wrap his life around certain truths about Christ as he lived out a, a winning Christian existence. And so hopefully it will be an encouragement to you as we look at these things today. It certainly was an encouragement to me because if you are like me, you have experienced some, some suffering, some difficulty, some hardship in life. There's some things that you're either going through, you've been through, or you see on the horizon that are tough. How do we keep tethered to Christ in the midst of that difficulty? We're going to see that today from Ephesians in chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Ephesians 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read these verses for us, but as I read Ephesians 3, 1 to 13, I'd ask that you stand as we read this section of God's Word. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 says this. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, 
assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You may be seated. Now, as we read those 13 verses, we're going to see a couple of things, a couple of categories of things that will help us to understand how we can wrap our lives around Christ. The first thing we're going to see is really a question. Who is at the center of your life? Who is at the center of your life? We see this revealed by the Apostle Paul as he experienced some difficulties and some hardship. As Paul goes through these difficulties and these hardships, he's going to indicate through the way he responds to that what he sees as the center pole of his life. We see this in verse 1. Paul begins and he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he was a prisoner. He was under arrest. He was kept in house arrest. At this point, he was in the city of Rome when he wrote this letter. Paul was, was arrested. Now, one of the things that happens, we get kind of sanitized to biblical truth. Um, we, we get sanitized to it. We, we, we're so familiar with hearing about Bible people being in prison that we can begin to think that that was just kind of, you know, just it wasn't like a real prison. It was more like a, a country club or, or some kind of a nice experience that they had. We, we, we lose sight of how difficult prison life would have been in the first century. But Paul did not lose sight of that because he was the one who was under arrest. And if we had any doubts as to how Paul viewed his imprisonment, uh, we find that out in verse 13 when he describes his imprisonment as suffering. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul was experiencing some hardship. He was arrested. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. Now, why was it that Paul was talking about his imprisonment when he wrote to the Gentiles? Why was it that Paul was so concerned that the the Gentiles in Ephesus would not lose heart because of Paul's imprisonment? Well, the reason why Paul was so concerned about the Gentiles' understanding and perspective related to his imprisonment was that, in part, it was their fault. 
The, the Gentiles in Ephesus were connected to Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says that he was suffering for you. Look at what it, he says in verse 1. He, he was suffering on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, sometimes we read that and we might think that what Paul was, was indicating was that, you know, hey, we're just all in this together. I'm in prison, but, but all of the, the body of Christ is in prison with me in a figurative kind of way. We're, we're all suffering for Jesus. And, and that, that is a notion that is communicated elsewhere in Scripture, but that's not what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. You see, Paul really was in prison in part because of his ministry to Gentile people, including the Ephesians. We see this unfold for us in the book of Acts, chapter 20, through the end of the book, chapter 28. See, in, in, in those chapters of the book of Acts, Paul is going to take a trip to the city of Jerusalem. And as Paul goes to the city of Jerusalem, he goes with several traveling mates, one of which was a man by the name of Trophimus, who was from the city of Ephesus, a Gentile from that city. And as Paul and Trophimus and the others arrive in Jerusalem, they go to the temple, and Paul gets accused of taking Trophimus, a Gentile, past the wall of the Gentiles and into the Jewish-only area of the temple. Remember, we talked about this last week, if you were with us. It was a trumped-up charge, but it was something that was brought against Paul nonetheless, and there was real anger at Paul by the Jews regarding how he was relating to Gentile people. Paul's ministry among the Gentiles ultimately led to his arrest. The Gentiles were so angry with Paul in chapter 21 that they bring him before the Roman judge and they expect him to be killed or imprisoned for life right there. And Paul decides to, to make a speech and he asks the Roman judge, hey, could, could you allow me to just talk a little bit with this angry mob of my countrymen and, and, and some Gentiles like yourself who are present, can I just explain myself what is happening? And they grant him that privilege. And so Paul begins to speak at the end of chapter 21 of the book of Acts. And as he speaks, he begins to recount his history and his story. And he, he talks about how early on in his life, he was a killer of Christians. He was a, a persecutor. He was pursuing them to their death that they might be arrested and done away with. He so despised Christians. Um, and as Paul is telling that part of his story, this angry mob of, of Jewish people who are there and the Roman people who are present, they, they watch him telling the story and they go, uh-huh, yeah, right, we're, we're with you, that all sounds good, nice story, you were a killer, we're with you. No uproar, no, you should be killed for that attitude, that action, they, they're, they're with him in that. So Paul continues to tell a story and he says he was walking down the road to Damascus when suddenly Jesus appeared to him in, a, in, a, in the sky, and he called him by name, and he asked him to follow him and to change his ways. And so Paul said that, that he did that. He did begin to follow Christ. And again, this, this mob of, of Jewish people who were so angry and the, and the, the Gentile Roman leaders who were there, um, they, they hear this and they go, wow, you saw Jesus. That's amazing. I thought he was dead. And then you saw him. That's really interesting. They, they don't interrupt him. They just listen to him tell the story. But then in chapter 22, verse 21 and 22, Paul slips in a little piece of what Jesus had told him to do that sets the crowd into a frenzy. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 22, verses 21 and 22. Paul, uh, Paul is talking and he said, And Jesus said to me, Go. 
for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That's the most benign thing from, from our ears. That's the most benign thing that Paul said in his speech up to this point. But it certainly wasn't benign to his audience because look at what happens in verse 22. It says, up to this word they listened to him, but then they raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. That seems like an overreaction to me. Um, but they took it quite seriously that Paul would be extending a ministry of hope to the Gentiles. So when Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and verse 13, that he's imprisoned on behalf of the Gentiles, that he's suffering for them, it's not just rhetoric. It's truth. If Paul had just decided to stop ministering to Gentiles, he might have eventually been taken by the Romans, but he certainly wouldn't have been taken that day because he was arrested and he was imprisoned. He was experiencing suffering and hardship because of his insistence on ministering to the Gentiles. Now, part of what this shows as Paul, in the midst of his suffering, is trying to encourage the Gentiles around him. He's trying to encourage the Ephesians. He's, he's going to give a message of hope in chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Part of what it shows is that at the center of Paul's life was not his happiness. See, if, if Paul's happiness would have been at the center of his life, then when he went to prison, that experience would have made no sense. Why would a man go to prison if at the center of his life is a desire and a quest for happiness? It was not happy, it was suffering. At the center of Paul's life, his life was tethered to something different than his personal happiness. And so the, the question comes back to us, what, who is at the center of your life? Suffering, hardship, and difficulty will help reveal that. You know, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, I'm speaking in a church, and, and I would love to tell you that at every moment in my life, that at the center of my life is Christ. But you know what? When I go through hardship, you know what I re realize? At the center of my life is a lot of my own desires for happiness. And I think if I could just wrap myself and organize my life around things that make me happy, then I would be winning. Suffering helps reveal sometimes that I'm tethered to the wrong pole. What about you? Who is at the center of your life? Is it another person? The difficulty with another person being at the center of your life, tethered to them, is what happens if that relationship sours? What happens if, if that relationship with this other person um, goes bad? Then we're like a ball that goes careening off the pole. What if at, at the center of our life is our vocation? Well, then you, you lose your job and suddenly the ball goes careening off the pole. If the center of our life is our pursuit for, for happiness, then there's going to be things that just flat out won't make sense to us because I can't organize my life around my happiness and have all the pieces fit. But Paul takes a different approach entirely. At the center of his life was not his happiness. At the center of his life was his heavenly Father. It was his glory. It was the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul wrapped his life around Jesus. And what I want to do in the balance of our time that we have today is I want to walk quickly through the rest of this passage and see what some of the truths are about Jesus 
that Paul wrapped his, his life around. There, there is certainly God was at the center, but there were certain things that, that Paul is going to cling to about Jesus, about God, about his, his plan in the midst of his struggle that would give him hope and strength. And, and hopefully, my, my prayer is that as we go through these, that you too will have hope and strength as we see the truth of the God that we're tethering our lives to. First truth that we see is that that Paul was wrapping around his sovereignty. You and I can do that as well. Wrap around God's sovereignty. Listen to how Paul described his experience in verse 1. He says he was a prisoner, but he doesn't say he was a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say he was a prisoner of the Jews. What does Paul say? He says he was a prisoner for Christ Jesus. See, Paul believed that Jesus was sovereign over even the difficult hardship and circumstances that he was dealing with. It gave him comfort at this time, knowing that Jesus was sovereign over that situation. You know, if Jesus had just said, Paul, get out of prison, Paul would have been out of prison. We know that not, again, as an abstract reality, but as a reality in Paul's life. There were times that he was in prison and he got out. How did that happen? Well, Jesus was sovereign over the jail in Philippi, and so he walked free. And so Paul knew that, that, that God was, was sovereign over this situation, and he, he wrapped his life around the sovereignty of God in that moment. Uh, verse 2, he, he describes his situation as the ministry that he has was a stewardship of God's grace. It was something that God gave him. God was sovereign over the circumstances of his life. He was sovereign over his ministry. He was sovereign over his opportunities. God gave this to him, resting in the fact that God was sovereign, wrapping his life around that truth, allowed Paul to to have strength in a time of, of struggle and of suffering. When you go through struggle and suffering, do you you rest in the sovereignty of God? It's tough. Tough. I recently was going through a a difficult experience, and I remember in in that moment um, just saying to a a friend at that time, you know, I I cannot control this, and I'm not going to try to. And and what what was was going on on the inside of my, my heart and my life at that moment was just an acknowledgement that God was sovereign over this situation. And I had to find rest and peace in that. Because if I saw myself as sovereign, then I would try to control a situation that I could not control, and that would lead to frustration and, and, and disappointment and bitterness. And I did not want to go there. In the midst of your struggle and your, and your, your suffering, you wrap around the sovereignty of God. Second thing wrap around his revelation. Wrap around his revelation. We see this in verses 3 to 6. He's going to talk here about a mystery. Now, what is a mystery in the Bible? A mystery in the Bible is not a Sherlock Holmes tale where we try to find out who done it. A mystery in the Bible is, is much more specific. A mystery in the Bible is a truth that we would not know if God did not reveal it to us. That's what a mystery in the Bible is. And what Paul is going to say is there was, there was a, a truth, a reality about the world, about the church that would be unknown 
to the world had God not chosen to reveal it to us. He says, this mystery was made known to Paul. It was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. That's what chapter 2, verses 11 to 22 is about. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Speaking there of Paul, Peter, James, John, the New Testament prophets and apostles that recorded the New Testament for us. There was something new in their message that God chose to reveal to humanity. What was it? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the truth that we looked at last week in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. It was the mystery. It was unknown in Old Testament times. If you were living in Old Testament times and you had access to the Old Testament Scriptures and you had, you had access to the natural revelation of the world, there, you would never have guessed that a day would exist like we live in now when, when we could approach God outside of the bounds of Jewish custom. See, Paul was, was resting back. He was wrapping his life around the revelation of God. It wasn't just his idea to minister to the Gentiles. It was a ministry that God gave him, and it was based on a very specific revelation that God gave about the fact that Gentiles could be reconciled to God in Christ. You know, sometimes we experience suffering, we experience hardship in our lives at times because we are merely leaning into the revelation of God. If you have experienced rejection by a friend or a family member because of your faith in Christ, and they distance from you over that, then you are, you can relate to this. You can find comfort in that moment by falling back on the revelation of God. You're not trying to divide the world. You're not trying to say that you're better than anybody else because we're certainly not. We're all sinners. What you're saying is you find your hope in Christ and Christ alone. You're wrapping in the revelation, the revealed truth of God about Christ. We can find solace in that moment on that truth. If you've ever confronted a friend over sin in their life and, and you've lost a relationship over that, and it grieves you because that was not your intention. What you wanted to do was to, for them to follow Christ just as you were following Christ. Take comfort this morning. Wrap not in that relationship at the center, but in the revealed truth of God at the center. We can wrap around that. It adds meaning to our suffering and our difficulty. We can wrap around His sovereignty. We can wrap around His revelation. We can wrap around His empowerment. We can wrap around His empowerment. Verse Seven, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Paul gained great comfort in knowing that as he was going through this hardship, as he was experiencing this suffering, that God, through the working of the Holy Spirit, which resided in his heart, which he talked about in chapter 1, would, would empower him to live out the Christian life, would, would empower him to walk through this suffering with, with dignity and honor and give glory to God in the process. He was not alone. He, he wrapped his life in the power of God that was at work within him. Many of you, I know, because I've, I've, I've heard your testimonies. I've talked to you about this. 
I've seen your posts on Facebook and Instagram as you have dealt with struggle and hardship and difficulty. You've talked about how God in the work of His Spirit has comforted you. We can wrap in His empowerment. We can wrap our lives in His ministry. Look at what it says in verses 8 and 9. He begins and he says, To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints. He says he was the very least of the saints. What Paul was saying was, this life is not about me. He says, I, I'm not the center pole. I'm, I'm the least of the saints. It's not, the, the Christian world doesn't exist so that Paul could get more benefit, so that Paul could get more blessing, so that people could kiss his ring and could take care of his needs, so that he could be free, but the Gentiles could be in the dark. Paul says, I'm the least of the saints. It's not about me. Paul takes a very humble attitude, a very humble perspective on his life. And instead, he sees this difficulty that he goes through as an opportunity for God to have ministry through him in the lives of others. Look at what it says. It says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. See, Paul saw as he went through this difficulty, one of the main impacts would not be in his own life, it would be in the lives of others. It would be in the lives of the Ephesians, the Gentiles, all people on the earth. You and I today would benefit from his imprisonment. You see, the, what, here's something that happens for me, and, and my guess is it may happen for you as well, but when you go through a difficulty, do you ever, is the only category for what God might be doing in that difficulty, what God might be doing in you through that difficulty? We think that the only thing God can accomplish through a struggle or a hardship is our betterment. Now, clearly, the Bible would tell us that God does work through hardship to grow our faith, to increase our dependence upon Him, to, to purify us from reliance upon uh, earthly things. James 1, other passages are very clear about that. But there's another whole category about why we go through struggle and hardship. This helps us to, to see meaning in things that seem meaningless to us. Because if it's all about our betterment, we're like, God, just give me a book to read next time. I don't want to go through that pain and suffering and hardship again. Or, or maybe take me through a different pain, suffering, and hardship so that I would learn something else. See, if it's all about us and our betterment, we can think, surely there's another way that we could get there. But there are things that God does in and through us as we go through suffering and hardship that impact not us but others. You know, a couple of years ago, my wife had a kidney transplant. We've talked about this many times, um, but it was, it was a difficult time in our lives. It was a difficult time for me, and one of the things that God was teaching me at that time was about control and, and how um, I, I wasn't in control, and I couldn't be in control, and I had to trust Him for my wife's healing and all these kinds of things. Um, and I remember sharing a message back in September of that year on that very topic, and my sister who lives a few hundred miles from here um, heard this message online. She shared it with a friend who was experiencing some hardship and some difficulty in her life, and um, it was a blessing in that situation. And that story is a reminder to me that God does things through us that are not about us. And we have to remember that. Because if, if we're at the center of the pole, then there are things that are just not going to make sense. But if it's God who's at the center, then other people being blessed in a situation can be something we can wrap our lives around. 
wrap around his ministry. Another one, wrap around his angelic education. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is one of the strangest ideas for me in the entire Bible. See, rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, that's Bible code for angels and demons. What this is saying is that there is something about Paul being in prison, Paul ministering to the Gentiles, him experiencing this hardship. There was something God was educating angels and demons about through his experience. What was it that Paul, or what was it that, that God might be using Paul to teach angels and demons about? Well, one of the things that I think God was probably teaching angels and demons, and just think about this, Satan had access to the Old Testament. He probably had read it a few times. Satan uh, could observe the world, and he could have thought he knew where everything was headed. But you know what? The whole existence of the church was a mystery. And so when, when God creates Jew and Gentile reconciled together in one body, that was a surprise to the angelic realm. It was a surprise to Satan. There were, you know, I don't know how this works, but there, there might have been some demons going, you know what, Satan's not as smart as we think he is. He, didn't even, he couldn't figure that out. God threw him a curveball. God is teaching the universe, even the angelic realm, something as we go through things. Our lives have that far of a reach. We can wrap around his plan. Chapter 3, verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, that, that he's going to work these things together according to something that he is doing in the universe. We can wrap our lives around that. This is similar to what we talked about re related to the sovereignty of God. And lastly, we can wrap our lives around his blessing. We can wrap around his blessing. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. You know what he's getting at there? He says, you know, in this life, this is what I think Paul was saying. In this life, we have no promise of wealth. We have no promise of health. We have no promise of a lack of hardship. We have no promise that everything's going to work out perfectly from our perspective. But as we go through all of those experiences of difficulty, there is one constant in Paul's life, and that was the blessing of God. The, the, the bags that God packed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that made it possible for Paul to have direct access to God, he could experience that right then, right there, right now. And by wrapping his life around what God was providing him in the midst of his struggle and his difficulty, allowed Paul to remain tethered to the truth, tethered to God himself as he experienced it. Now, just want to conclude by just asking the question, what's the center of your life? What is it that you are attached to? What is it that wrapping your life around would represent you winning? We know the answer is God. But hopefully, seeing these specific truths about God will allow us to trust Him in an active way, even as we're beaten about by circumstances and situations. Let me pray. Father, we uh, thank You that we can come before You and we can worship. We thank You that uh, this, this truth um, of Your Word has come alive for us, that we can understand that 
Um, we can tether our lives to, to you even in the midst of suffering and hardship, that you can be doing great things even in the midst of difficulty for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, um, to just trust you day by day as, as we follow you, the God of, of whom there is there's no one higher. Everything else in our lives, Father, uh, could ultimately fall apart, but there is no one higher than you. Pray that you would fill our hearts with praise and worship now as we go before you and stand and sing in Jesus' name.